Hello and welcome to the CRE with Cobalt Banker Commercial Worldwide podcast. My name is Christina Ballas, the National Director of Strategic Implementation for CBC, and I'll be your host. Today, we are joined by Christiane Schrobilgen, who has spent over two decades in business development, marketing and operations, project management, and event management in commercial real estate. She has a Bachelor's of Science in Management from Pepperdine Grazia Dio Business School. Impressively, she is a founding board member for Real, Real Estate Association of Latinx Professionals, the first and only Latinx association focused on commercial real estate, and most recently is a founding partner and COO of iImpact Capital, a purpose-driven gender lens investment platform focused on the development and preservation of affordable, sustainable, and equitable real estate investments. At iImpact, she executes strategy and vision and oversees safeguarding iImpact's purpose and values. She is responsible for the organization's resiliency, keeping business performing at its peak today and as a change agent for the future. She's here today to talk to us about her personal journey that led her to an amazing career in commercial real estate, as well as ways we can and should think about equity in this industry. Welcome, Christiane. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Christina. Pleasure to be here. I would love if you would kick us off with talking about iImpact and how you got there. We can weave back through your journey of personal and career growth, but I'd love for you to start us off with talking about iImpact. Sure. So as you mentioned, iImpact is an investment platform, but it has a gender lens approach to it. And so what this means is that we are focused on women-owned and led developers and investment managers. We are working towards launching our fund at the beginning of 2023, and it will be focused on housing. And this is because through our research, we found that less than 2% of CRE assets under management are handled by women, less than 2% in all of commercial real estate. However, over 75% of residents in affordable housing and Section 8 housing are women. So, you know, there's a huge discrepancy there. And because of that, we are creating a gender focus opportunity through real estate investments. Our hope is that when there is representation at an investment level and an asset management level, then that'll trickle down to understanding the risks, risks and opportunities that housing residents have. So basically, in essence, we are reducing the barriers that are disproportionately affecting women and those identifying as women and the communities that depend on us. And we hear over and over that in commercial real estate investments, the biggest challenge is surety of close in the early stages of an opportunity. And that's really where we want to come in. That's great. And how does iImpact help with that? So once we launch the fund, we have identified already senior investment partners that have some sort of track record already. So they're, they've been pre-vetted, pre-identified. We feel comfortable with them that our institutional investors are willing to support our mission and our, and our vision. And then depending on the, the circumstances, we can come in with early funds to say help put a deposit down, right? So like mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, one of the biggest barriers is having that large sum of money that can then compete with other investment managers. So that's where we would come in. 
at a development level, it could take up to $2 million to get a deal off the ground, right? And so that's where we would come in. That's amazing. And how did you identify this as as the path of maybe the path of resistance as far as investment goes? What kind of research did you do? Is it just your experience or was there a lot of research that went into it? It's a combination, right? My partner, Ada Arevalo, she's been in the business longer than I have and has really focused on affordable housing. And based on our peers and our colleagues, a lot of them women, a lot of them are leading small businesses themselves. We knew that there was this opportunity because, as you know, as as another female in the industry, we're not well represented. In surveys, we found that women of color are are a rounding error. Um, So we were thinking about ways of changing that, of creating something unique and different as more and more focus is placed on ESG, environmental, social, and corporate governance. And we felt like this was an opportunity. We're both passionate about providing opportunities to people like us. And what I mean by that is not not just women, but also Hispanics and Latinos in in the business. That's great. I'd love for you to take a minute to maybe break down some of our assumptions or some of our listeners, maybe assumptions about what is affordable housing. So affordable housing is typically thought of as maybe the projects, right? So when, when people typically think of affordable housing, they think of these federally funded public housing apartments. And it's not necessarily the case. You know, you can have a brand new class A apartment that is categorized as affordable housing. The way that we're trying to almost create a paradigm shift, though, is thinking about making sure that folks are spending less than 30% of their income in housing. And what this means is that firefighters and police officers and teachers and Even the younger generation of folks in commercial real estate have a home that they can then have additional money to spend into the economy as well. So it's not just about the poorest of the poor. It's about making sure that there is equity throughout the entire spectrum of the working community so that we have the ability to then maybe invest a little bit of money, for sure, save some of that money, right? And travel and experience all the other things that everyone else gets to do if they are living within their means. Inflation rate, as as you know, has made things a little bit difficult for, for folks these days. Everything is getting a lot more expensive. And so it's just about making that adjustment so that everyone can afford a safe and clean and nice place to live and again, be able to do those other things. Absolutely. I I felt like I needed to ask that question because I get involved in my local community. And a lot of times when I talk to people about, you know, housing and it just comes up in conversation when you're helping a town or downtown or municipality, whatever, whatever your passion is. And I, I always use that same example actually about 
the people that service the community should be able to afford to live in said community, right? Teachers, police officers, exactly. et cetera. And a lot of times I think when people first hear the words affordable housing, their mind does go to that kind of more archaic view of it or, you know, like a negative view as opposed to thinking about a space that people could actually afford to live in as, you know, not this degraded space. It could be a beautiful space. It's just Correct. fair for people. So it's it's definitely about equity. I love that. Thank you for, for sharing that with our listeners. I do have a question for you about iImpact and how you, how did you start it? What, you know, how did you and your co-founder become partners and how did this come into your, your view? Sure. So I got to know Ada better while we were getting right out off the ground. Like you, like you mentioned, it's the Real Estate Association of Latinx Professionals. So that started right in the midst of the pandemic in the summer of 2020. And we quickly, and by the way, I should say this also includes a very lovely board of directors that we have been partnering with over almost two years now. But Ada and I quickly realized that we had complementing skill sets and expertise and that we respected each other tremendously. And so as Ada was ideating iImpact, because again, she's really the one that has the experience with affordable housing and fundraising specifically. You know, I became one of her trusted colleagues in thinking through approach and, and strategies. And within a few months, she presented the opportunity to join her as a partner. And the decision was not an easy one. I loved what I was doing in sustainability. And I loved my team at, at Sustanta Group. But it was also obvious that I'd have the privilege of creating something from scratch with somebody that I admired greatly. So that's kind of how it started. So I started part-time. I let my my team know. It was a very transparent process. Everyone was really excited. We knew that we would find ways to continue collaborating going forward. And it has been that way and uh, eventually transitioned full-time summer of last year. Amazing. I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about Real since you brought that up. It's interesting to me in almost a mind-blowing way that it's the only I think it's the only Latinx organization for commercial real estate professionals. Is that accurate? As far as we know, that is accurate. Yes. Yeah. T- tell me about that and what kind of led you to kicking that off and working with and working on and, you know, now for with Real. Sure. So I know that you are that you also know Allison Weiss, who's a good friend yes. of mine. We, we met at uh, Colliers International, where I also had the, the honor of working with Dan Spiegel. And so Allison created a group of women, Siri Women Mastermind. And as we were talking through everything that was unfolding with the pandemic and Black Lives Matter, we really started thinking about ways that we could pay it forward, right? Ways that we can influence our community and use the, the privilege and, and, the, and the luck that we had come across in our specific careers. And so with Michelle Lagos, who, who is Mexican-American, we, we were like, you know what? We need to do this. I don't know that there's a, a, an organization like this. And, and we should do this to, to try to advance visibility and opportunities for Latinos and Hispanics in commercial real estate. And so we did a little bit of research. Garland Fuller, Who's on? Who's now on the advisory board for Real? She then connected me back to Ada, who I had met earlier that that year, and she had already been speaking to a few other people, and that's kind of how it happened. It was very quick and, and natural, and we knew that we had a shared mission, just 
fortunate to to be in a place where we can we can do this for others. That's amazing. I love all the names that you're throwing out because through, like you said, through Dan Spiegel and kind of the the amazing group of leaders in the industry that you guys have kind of developed into, I've been lucky enough to meet some of you. I was on a clubhouse call one time with Garland and Allison and I have become fast friends. And it's amazing to see how people that want to impact the industry kind of all find find each other. And I love that dance right? is kind of the middle of all of that and connecting all of us. It's really like just kismet. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> oh man, Dan Spiegel, let me tell you, I was very young and impressionable. <laughs> it was in my early 20s when I started at Colliers International and he was already an executive in the operations team for corporate. And he was just always so nice and willing to answer questions and engage. I, I have this memory of a handful of executives who actually took the time to remember my name, you know, and say hi to me when they would walk by my cubicle at that time. And so very fond of Dan. He's he's a he's a great person. He is he hasn't changed, I'll tell you that. He's still great. So <laughs> good news. <laughs> I'm glad to hear. Yes, absolutely. So I want to know a little bit about your path into commercial real estate. Since you mentioned, you know, you started at Collier's really young. How did you fall into commercial real estate or was it a path that you had sought after? Certainly not something that I had envisioned. So it was it was by chance. I had moved to Los Angeles in 2000 from Nicaragua, where I graduated from high school. And I came here to study architecture, quickly realized that that was not for me. And I don't know if I should say unfortunately or fortunately, but I got lost in LA's charm as a young adult, finding my way uh, really into arts and music and the underground scene and always working, of course. But I kind of just tried to experience LA in, in all of its greatness. And eventually my cousin, Tom Lagos, who had at that time been in the business for over a decade as a real estate investment broker, asked me if I could help with a new portfolio that he had listing. And so likely underqualified, frankly, I assumed that my background in architecture and art and small business would be a good fit. And then it was that way. I immediately fell in love with the business and then eventually moved from retail brokerage to a large scale business pursuits for all property types and eventually landing on the national corporate team for capital markets at Collier's. So it's been on and off a bit, about 16 years now in commercial real estate specifically. And then before that I did, I managed a retail store. So interesting. So oftentimes when we talk about representation or opportunity, it's it's usually in a sense of, you know, general generational wealth or business opportunities being passed down from generation to generation, right? But in this case, it was an opportunity that somebody threw out to you through family, you know, through a cousin or, you know, how I think that's what you said the relationship was. And it's it's interesting that it was not done in the same way, but because of your network you, and somebody that did an industry that you would maybe not too much knowledge about kind of threw an opportunity out there and you seized it. So, so it's interesting to, to hear that story. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And actually that's actually what, what also helped me think about what, what it was that I personally wanted Real to be, you know, and, and was hoping that I could influence my fellow board members to, to think about as well. Over and over again, we hear that commercial real estate opportunities are, like you mentioned, through family, right? 
uh, generationally or in my case by chance working hard but yeah, sure what i hope to do as as a personal mission is remove that chance and have it be more of a like i want it to be intentional i want young mm. kids to understand that there is room and space and that they are needed in this industry so that we can then focus back in our communities and influence the way we want our communities to look and feel and be. So it is about intentionality. With Real, we have several programs going and, and one of the mo ones I'm mostly excited about is um, Project IDE, which is Aspirations in Real Estate. We're working with a group of young high school students in Los Angeles area and providing education. So we have monthly calls with them. We are starting our internship program or mentorship program, and we'll also have a scholarship. So hoping that that pilot program gets to expand to other schools, whether it's statewide or, or nationally. But again, it's about that intentionality of, of making sure that young folks know that there is this industry that can influence your community directly and then, you know, also make generational wealth of your own. Absolutely. That's great. You know, we talk a lot about the gap of like the next generation in commercial real estate, you know, maybe not between you and I, but I think it's, I'm sure, heightened amongst other communities that, that maybe have no access to even hearing about what commercial real estate is. Like, why would it be something that's talked about if nobody in your family or in your community has really taken part of? So that's, that's really great work. And especially at the high school level, that's wonderful. I am so impressed. I am so hopeful about the future of the industry. These are exceptional human beings. It is remarkable and I learn from them every time I, I'm able to interact. That's amazing. What, what a great opportunity. I mean, for them and for, for you, right? And the board members, I'm sure. <laughs> right. What does an equitable investment landscape look like to you? What, what does that future look like if in the utopian sense of it? Oh man. Well, <laughs> big question. question, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, it's really where we could at least attempt at making it a win-win for all stakeholders and not just investors or vendors. It's about reducing displacement and providing access to capital in an equitable way, which is one of the things that we're we're aiming for with iImpact um, using a gender lens approach. Somebody said to me, and I, we've just, I've discussed this with Ada a bit too, when we think about the economy and the world, it's a globe, right? And it's just money that circulates within that globe. And the more return we aim to get, the more extractive we are being of that economy. And that money's coming from somewhere. So how can we just be a little bit more thoughtful and intentional again, to make sure that we are thinking of all stakeholders as we move forward with our business opportunities. That is certainly lofty and definitely a, a nice way to work towards, you know, a hopeful, a hopeful place to work towards. I'd love to talk to you about what being certified a B Corp is and why that's important to you. Cause I think it kind of, I don't know, speaks to some of the other conversation points we were just having. Yes, so it, it it's not an entity type, right? It's not like an LLC or an S-Corp. It is a certification 
through this nonprofit that allows you to think about your business plan and your operating statements as a company that puts people, planet, and profit at the same level of, of importance. And so what it does do is it allows that foundation to continue in, in, in our example, once Ada and I move on, regardless of what our exit strategy is. And so it, it kind of gives that foundation to make sure that all of the decisions being made within the organization are accounting for those three things. And it's not just going to change because there's a change in leadership. I'd be, I'd be lying if I told you exactly how other folks are thinking about B Corp certification. I do know that some of the larger companies are companies like retailers, Patagonia and Allbirds. And so now we're starting to see certifications and B Corp coming to more private, smaller businesses. And as we were ideating on iImpact, we felt like this was an important differentiator for us. It's going to take a bit of time for us to get the actual certification, but we, we certainly aim to do that. And, and we know that we'll be able to accomplish it. For our listeners' sake, can you give us an example of, of a policy or the way you set something up that aligns with putting people, what did you say, people, place, and environment first? Right. So it's having a very intentional set of ESG strategies and policies. So as an example, we can think about instead of just providing so in our case, instead of just providing a educational stipend for somebody that wants to go back to school, maybe we call it a lifestyle stipend or bonus where somebody can maybe go on vacation instead and use that time to re-energize, to you know, go on a spiritual journey, whatever it is that they want. Or maybe maybe that same bonus or stipend can be used for daycare services. So it's about understanding that everyone is in a different place in their life and that everyone has different different backgrounds and different needs and trying to view everything from that perspective. That sounds lovely. And I love that it takes, it sounds so empowering actually for the individual person to make decisions for themselves on how to better invest in themselves, although it puts the ownership certainly on the individual person to recognize that. Yeah. I mean, of course, there's, you know, basic benefits that a corporation or, sure. or, or that a business should provide, but this is going above and beyond that. Right. And like you said, putting, putting the responsibility on the individual to understand what is it that, what is it that they want out of their career or their life? what makes them whole, what fills their cup individually, and for us as an organization to provide those opportunities so that so that it is equitable in a way. I think that the the key there too and in, in the way that you're setting up by impact it and you know through the lens of of trying to be certified as a B Corp, but also just obviously the way you're running the organization in general, it does take a little bit of the uncertainty of leadership out of the individual employer employee and what i mean by that is for me and as we were talking so highly of dan he he recognizes that his team kind of maybe certain areas of development and is is very proactive in in making us feel empowered to go and pursue those things but that's really individualized attention that i have from a really great boss 
void of that, you know, if that didn't happen, I, I may not have those opportunities. So it's, I think it's amazing to set up a, a company organization, et cetera, where it takes the guesswork out of, out of either leadership or management and kind of really puts that back into the power of the employee. That's really great. Yeah. And it's continuity too, right? So yeah. again, it doesn't matter where Ada and I go, whoever, if there is ever a change in leadership, this is part of the DNA of the company. So you and I first, absolutely, you and I first were talking about where iImpact is in its current state. Can you talk to us about the next steps that iImpact is is looking towards and maybe what the next year has in store for iImpact? Yeah, so as I mentioned, we have come full circle with our with our strategy. It is what we had first envisioned. And our goal is to launch our first fund, which will be focused on housing at the beginning of the year, uh, 2023. And until then, though, we need more support. <laughs> it's just Ada and I. We have two amazing interns and an assistant that has been helping us since the beginning. But we are currently fundraising for operational capital. We think that we know that um, it won't just be a friends and, and family raise. We hope that grants and other types of charitable organizations step up and, and do this work with us. Absolutely. So if any of our listeners are inspired and want to know how they could get involved with iImpact, what would you tell them? LinkedIn is definitely the way to get a hold of me personally. Ada is also active. But, you know, check out our websites too. We have iImpact.capital and that's with two eyes. And for Real, it is rea-l.org. And, you know, I also, I also wanted to mention that I am a very active volunteer for U.S. Green Building Council in Los Angeles. I'm actually the vice chair of Women in Green. And so I want to give them a shout out as well. And their website is usgbc-la.org. Well, since we're shouting them out, what are the fun projects that you are working on with them? Yeah, so as some of your listeners may know, USGBC are the folks that certify buildings in LEED or individuals. But we, we as Women in Green, we focus on networking for women. We hold, and this is obviously has changed a bit since, since the pandemic, but we hold two breakfast events annually. And they focus on women in sustainability that want to make sure that other women have similar opportunities. Currently, right now, we're actually thinking about restructuring a bit and making sure that we are collaborating more with other committees within the organization in providing, say, job opportunities or internship opportunities to college, to recent college graduates looking into sustainability as a career. So this is all kind of, at least what I view my work, it's all, it's all inclusive. It's, we cannot have sustainability without equity. We cannot have equity without being sustainable. And all of that is, is wrapped in governance and how we look at leadership and everything that we're involved in doing. Absolutely. You know, talking about sustainability, I did want to touch on that 
as part of your career journey and then you know how that was i had i wanted to to just dig into a little bit of of how you've come into that world as being part of your passion too so you know like i mentioned i spent the majority of my career in brokerage but then in 2018 i got pregnant with my with my first and only child lucas and during my maternity leave i just really got to thinking about what i wanted my legacy to be for him and what i could be doing to just leave the world a, a better place right so this is pre real pre i impact yeah. and by luck i guess we can call it again luck <laughs> a friend of a friend's wife reached out to me talking about an opportunity in sustainability within commercial real estate and i said i don't know anything about sustainability but they're like no nope, we just need someone that understands real estate that understands commercial real estate and so uh, it ended up being a, an amazing an amazing team at sustento with with dave hodgins and renee and that's kind of how i got started in sustainability and then really understanding what the process is to lower emissions in a building and reduce energy and water use in a, in a large scale level. We had advisors that focused either on energy or water, and we would then team up with the property managers and engineers in helping identify solutions and incentives that the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power and the city of LA had for them. So it's about building case studies when other people can see, when people can see what others are doing to make a difference, then it kind of takes on, you know, a life of its own. So if, if anybody wanted to, I guess some of my thoughts are about sometimes I think just like the concept of affordable housing, I think when people hear sustainability, it may have kind of different connotations to them. Is it... Mm -hmm. How would you explain sustainability to somebody that maybe is skeptical about its uh, importance in the world of commercial, obviously in commercial real estate terms? Yeah. So thank you for asking that. Actually, when I was at Sustento, we went through this rebrand exercise and the way that we thought about it was really future proof, proofing your investment. You're making an investment in real estate. You want to make sure that that's a sustainable investment, that you're future-proofing your investment for the long run, right? And so if we are not taking care of what we need to take care of now, you're going to have different maintenance. That's going to cost you more money because things are going to break down, because things become inefficient, right? Just like a car. Yep. It's the same way for a building. If we're not doing what we can for the environment, we will continue to have fire risks, or just even, for example, infrastructure-wise for earthquakes, we get in Los Angeles, which is where I'm based out of, we get, I think, I believe it's like 75% of our water imported. <laughs> Imagine what would happen if there's an earthquake and that pipeline breaks. Right. That's not necessarily future-proofing our communities here, right? Yeah. So it's all about finding ways to reduce first it's, it's that it's like that whole recycle thing. We first have to figure out how to reduce our use and then figure out ways to generate alternative ways of, of, of capturing energy and water. But first comes reduction. There's no point in, for example, putting an entire roof of 
solar panels if you're just wasting energy because all of your systems are inefficient. Sure. Um, and that's and that's what the experts again, I'm not an expert, but that's what the experts at either a sustainability consulting firm can do for you or working with the public sector incentives, like I mentioned with LADWP or SoCal Gas. They all have mandates from the city and those mandates come from a state level as well. I love the idea of thinking of future-proofing your investment. I think that is like the the takeaway for me when it comes to sustainability and the commercial real estate sense of, the, of it, right? Because I, I obviously we hear sustainability is the right thing to do, or you can recognize that there's the quote, quote unquote right thing to do, whatever that means, right, for people. But it's also about protecting your investment class. And so I think that's really important for us to, to kind yeah. of highlight, too. It's not just about it is about doing the right thing, sure, but it's also about protecting your investments. Exactly. And, you know, uh, uh, something that came front and center to me during the pandemic as we were working with these different stakeholders in the community, everyone was stuck at home during that summer and it was hot Mm. and people are using their or trying to use their air conditioning. We were having power outages, right? These kids and and think about uh, the underserved community. These kids were at home figuring out how to get educated using iPads and laptops and their utility costs were skyrocketing. So families were having to make choices between putting food on the table or making the environment just a little bit more comfortable so that these kids could actually focus. I grew up in a tropical country where We did not have air conditioning at that time, uh, even though it was a very nice private school. This was back in the 80s. And it wasn't always, it's hard to concentrate. It's hard to concentrate. So, and that was, and, and, and that was in a beautiful tropical area with tons of trees, right? This is, we don't have that in Los Angeles. It's a jungle. It's a concrete jungle. It was heartbreaking for me to think about these kids in these apartment buildings having having to make those choices. Yeah. I mean, I will tell you, I was also a student in the 80s and uh, I live in New Jersey and I went to school in New Jersey and we did not have air conditioning either, except for the one computer room, right? Because computers were new. (laughs) Right. So the computer room had air conditioner. So for the 30 minutes that you had computers a week to learn how to, you know, type on a word processor, (laughs) that was air conditioned. But yeah, I mean, the summer, you know, and, and we have off in the summer, obviously, right? But I just remember June being just, it was, it was hard to even concentrate in the best of circumstances. So so I, I hear that for sure. Yeah, that's what folks uh, think about, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, one question I wanted to, to dig into is about some of the tools and experiences that you've had. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Sure, so I think I'll start with tools. Or skill sets, maybe. And I think that basic ones like project management and people management are good. But honestly, I think for me, it has been my curiosity and just being inquisitive. Mm. It's what has helped me be a better problem solver, a better connector, a better team member, friend, and even family member. I read a book called Traction by Gina Wickman, and it always talks about asking why five times to get to the root cause of a challenge or issue. So if you dig deeper and dig deeper and dig deeper, leading with curiosity, you're going to get to the root cause and it's going to allow you to solve things for the long term. 
not just put band-aids on it. And another tool that I'm a huge fan of that I really wish I had invested in them when they went public is Smartsheet. I basically manage my entire life with it. And in every organization that I've led teams with, I use Smartsheet as a tool and it has been exponentially helpful in, in getting our goals and objectives done. So I have two comments on that because I, so number one is curiosity. Absolutely. Is that something that you have always, have you always been curious? Like when you were a child, were you a curious child or is that something you've developed and learned how to do? You know, I think a combination when I look at my childhood and especially if I compare myself to my brother who would literally pull apart the toaster oven to figure out how it works. That's just def- definitely <laughs> amazing. <not me. laughs> and then, of course, he couldn't put it back together. So then we would have to buy a new one. So that was definitely not me. I'm, I'm curious, like, oh, he's opening the toaster. Let me check it out. But I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's cool. You know, <laughs> I'll move on to something else. Um, however, I had through the years in working with different personalities and, 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 and different types of leaders, I just realized that asking questions, regardless of how dumb you may think you sound, will always give you better results. So, yeah, yeah I think it's a honed skill. Yeah, I am a big question asker. You can ask anybody that I work with. That's probably why I really enjoy interviewing you. people. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, I'll be the awkward one. I'm like, I'm sorry, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's no shame in learning, right? My other comment to you is about smart sheets. I cannot get into smart sheets. So we'll have to take that one offline. I am like an Excel, like diehard fan. Oh, man. I just can't get into smart sheets, but maybe I need to, I need to be convinced of its, its power. <laughs> so, so usually what happens, it, again, this is in my experience using it over the last 10 years. It's if it is not being utilized not even to its full potential, but let's call it like a 30% potential, then then folks are not seeing the advantage of, of using Smartsheet versus Excel, mm-hmm. right? So it depends on who introduced you to it and how it's being utilized. Because when you are able to see how the dashboards work and how automation works and how easy it is to create reports and filters and all of these things that you just cannot do. You could do maybe in Excel, but it takes a lot more. It takes a particular skill set to do. That's when you okay. start seeing the benefit. Yeah. Okay. I will be more open-minded to, to trying Smartsheets again. That is that is one of I, my takeaways today. <laughs> I have changed minds. I have been known to change minds, especially when it comes to technology. <laughs> awesome. I heard a few times in our conversation, you use the word luck. And I know that that is something that you and I have talked about on previous calls. I would love for you to talk about how you think about luck. Luck. Luck to me is preparation meeting opportunity. So of course, like I mentioned, I I have been privileged, but I've also endured a lot as a woman of color in this industry. But it is about being ready to take on the opportunities that are given to you and proving people wrong to a certain degree. So, yeah, it's about being prepared and being ready to take action when that opportunity is given to you. That's really what luck comes down to. A lot of people can be lucky because an opportunity is given to them and then they don't seize it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was something that I wrote down that I actually have I've said to others uh, that I've talked to, but I love that. Like luck is 
opportunity plus readiness and the, mm-hmm. making yourself ready for that opportunity is is the part that we can all obviously own and be prepared for. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to close our conversation today with if you wanted our listeners to do anything after listening to this episode, what would that be? So I think it's going back to thinking about our economy as a as a glass globe and realizing that no matter how you slice it, <laughs> the more you take, the more you're taking away from someone. It doesn't mean that I don't believe in capitalism. It just means that we need to be thoughtful and intentional about the way that we approach business so that we just provide more opportunities for everyone. I love that. And I know you were talking about your little one. I have two little ones. And uh, to me, what you just said sounds like what I tell them at dinner time: Only take what you're going to eat and don't be wasteful. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Lucas isn't Lucas hasn't graduated to that yet. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I have a feeling that within the next year, oh my gosh, our conversations are getting really exciting these days. He's three and a half now. <laughs> That's wonderful. I have to tell you, it gets better with every year for sure. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you so much. And I know that you said LinkedIn, but if if somebody wanted to connect with you, what is an easy way for them to find you? Is it LinkedIn or is there a different, is there an email address? Anything else you want to share with the group? Sure. My email address is Christiane at iimpact.capital. The reason why I said LinkedIn is because I have a really long name with a really long last name. (laughs) So although we did make it easy for our email, it's just our first name. So C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-N-E at I-I-M-P-A-C-T dot capital. Wonderful. (laughs) Node.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for the time you spent with us today. This was such a great episode. I loved our conversation. And for anybody that's listening, if you like what you hear, don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast. And until next time, we'll see you again. Thank you for having me. 